Thank you, Pastor Tom. Thank you. Appreciate it. We got you on? Yeah, I think so. All right. I think we're on. I think, yes, we are. It's fun to serve God, isn't it? God is good. That's right. And even when things are not going good, God is still good. And it's such an honor to serve him, to live for him. It's an honor to be here this morning. I've only been in this church one time, and that's when I was 16, a year before uh, Pastor Tom went down to um, South America. And I never imagined I'd be here. Uh, we really appreciate your pastor and some of the missionaries that are here that we know, uh, Noe and Holly and Jody and some of the others that I don't see here this morning, but it's just a real honor to be here with them, be here with you, and we want to congratulate you. We, we, we've heard a lot about uh, City Church and your yearly missions uh, conference, and I just want to congratulate you and, uh, and thank you for your commitment to the cause of Jesus Christ in other nations. So uh, let me applaud you. God bless you. My name is David, and I met my wife when I was 17, and she was 16, and our entire uh, dating uh, was all by letter before, um, before uh, social network and social media. M email was just coming in when, when we were engaged, and so um, it was all Borough Express, as I said in the, in the first service, and it would take about two weeks to get my letters to her and two weeks for her letters to get back, so I wouldn't wait a month to get a response. I would just, every two days, send her a letter, and so I never knew what letter she was responding to. We just kept writing, <laughs> and uh, we eventually got married, and um, when I was in Bible school in Dallas, I used to tell everybody I had a girlfriend, and uh, she didn't even know it. Um, she just... She just knew we were writing each other, and now I know uh, years later that she was praying for me at that time. And uh, I, I remember that it was a funny moment when I finally, you know, it, we got to the point where she was like, well, what are we, you know? And I said, well, you know, you're my girlfriend. I, I tell everybody else. And uh, it was news to her. It was good news. And... Uh, I remember the first time I told her I loved her. It was in Chicago. I was on my way to South America. I drove up from Dallas, Texas. I was going to Christ for the Nations. And I spent the night in Chicago at some friend's house. We drove together up from CFNI. And I was in one of their bedrooms. I was sitting in the carpet in uh, Elgin. Is that a place close to Chicago? Yeah, somewhere around there. Anyway. And um, so I called her in California. And this is the first time I told her I loved her. We, we had just talked as friends, you know, the whole time. And I remember uh, I was like, okay, I'm going to tell her I love her. And so I told her. I was sitting down on the carpet in this house in Chicago, and I said, Nicole, I just want to tell you something. She said, what? I said, I love you. <laughs> and you would have expected a response, right? There was a long silence, and I got nervous, and I started talking about the weather and other stuff, and I was like, man, I don't want her to go away. You know, this is a really great girl, and she wants to be a missionary, and I got so scared. Two months later, I was visiting her in California after leaving South America, and uh, we were taking a walk, and she answered me two months later after I told her. <laughs> yep. She answered me, said, I love you, too, and she gave me a kiss right here on the forehead, like that. 
And uh, so I married my high school sweetheart, even though we didn't go to high school together. And uh, we have four beautiful daughters, two of them born in the U.S., two born in Mexico. They're all dual citizens and citizens. And my wife is a legal resident of Mexico. She can, she can do everything but vote. But um, it's a real honor to be in Mexico at this time. We have a burden for the Middle East and for North Africa and Southern Europe. And we have a love for Mexico. And our dream is to see Mexicans and Latin Americans go as missionaries to these other places. So we went to a town we'd never lived in before, had no contacts, didn't know anybody. And uh, we, we started a church 13 years ago. And um, as a church, we've been supporting other missionaries for the last 10, 11 years. And this, in, the, in about eight months, we're going to send our first family from our church to, to the Middle East, Lord willing. And uh, so it's a privilege to be a part of that. God is good. People used to tell us we were crazy uh, for thinking that we could send missionaries from our small uh, city in Mexico to other countries. And maybe we were, and maybe we are. But if we are, then God is crazy because God is interested in mobilizing his church in his mission. And the title of the message this morning in Latin is Missio Dei, and we call it the Mission of God. That's the title for the, the message this morning. The mission of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. While you look for it, I just wanted to mention um, this has been a crazy week in Mexico after the earthquake. And uh, actually, it was the second major earthquake in two to three weeks. We'd already sent support to one area. And this week, we were mobilizing support for uh, another, the other affected area by Mexico City. And uh, it was so cool how our city, um, they, they were traditionally very close to the gospel. But um, I got a call saying, we're sending a trailer of, of help to this area that, that you want to send help to. And we'll, we'll leave you some room to for the church because we're, you know, getting jackets together and food and non-perishable stuff to send. And uh, I said, sure. The next day we got another call and they said, you know what? Instead of us giving you some space in our trailer to put some of the church stuff in to take to the damaged area, why don't we just give you the entire trailer and you can take all the stuff and you guys distribute it through your churches in that area. So it's awesome how God is touching people's hearts. And I feel like Mexico is somehow at this moment uniting in the middle of crisis and they're looking to the church they're looking to God and I know that something similar has happened here in the states we've obviously been praying and we know the three hurricanes that have hit in Texas and in Florida and in Puerto Rico a couple days ago they've been very serious by the way this is not this morning's message but if you read Matthew 24 when it talks about the signs of the end of the times Jesus said don't be troubled don't be deceived don't let your heart grow cold persevere. But the big thing he says in verse 14 of Matthew 24 is, and this gospel shall be preached. Forget all of that nonsense about the end of the world, the 23rd of September. There was a guy in 1988 who wrote a book, 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 1988. He didn't. And uh, he is coming back, but not when you think. His priority, his mission is God's mission. And God's mission is to save the lost. So that's our focus. And we know he's coming back. We know he's coming back for our church, but amen. We're not going to lose time buying buckets of oatmeal to put in our basement. Um, 
In California, uh, the church I was working at for a long time, we, we, had to, we, had, we gave away oatmeal for months because of Y2K. People were, you know, buying all this stuff and we're going to go hide in the caves. I got a call a year ago from some relatives saying, you know, you better take all your money out of the bank and, and buy non-perishables because the red blood moons and all this stuff. And I, and I said, listen, first of all, we don't have enough money in the bank to live for more than a month. <laughs> so... I can take it all out, but it won't be more than three, four weeks worth, guaranteed. I said, but even if I did have enough to live for months and months, if I was the only guy in my neighborhood with cash, what do you think would happen to us if indeed the banks closed? We'd be dead. I said, and you want me to buy beans and take, oh, I understand having a few bottles of water, that's good. But you want me to hide in my house? If Jesus was to come back, what would he want to find me doing? <laughs> Collecting beans and oatmeal? <laughs> I used to work at a bank before we went to Mexico. And right before Y2K, a lady came in, pulled out $80,000. And she said, I want them all in $20 bills. I had to walk with her to her car with all her $20 bills. Listen, the Father who created this world is on a mission. And he wants to invite you and me to be part of his mission. And his mission doesn't involve buckets of oatmeal. It involves mobilizing us to be a part of what he is doing to save the lost. Amen? Amen. So let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. There are two things we want to see here. Uh, but let's read from verse 15 to verse 20. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Wow. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Father, in the minutes remaining, of this message, I pray that you would speak to us. Open our eyes. If there is someone here, God, that has yet to experience your forgiveness and your salvation and the hope that can only be found in you, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would touch that person's heart that that person may experience your forgiveness and your love this very morning. And I pray that those of us who have experienced your forgiveness would be inundated with your love and a burning fire and passion to be a part of what you are doing on this earth. In Jesus' name, amen. Two very simple things I want to say this morning. The first is that God the Father is on a mission to reconcile you to him. Why is that? When God created man, he created woman, it was perfect. They were, it was a beautiful thing. 
They were in paradise. Genesis chapter one and chapter two narrate that, how they actually were able to walk in the cool of the day with God and talk with him and be in his presence, know him. It's hard to imagine that. But a day came when the serpent tempted Eve and both Eve and Adam took from the forbidden fruit and disobeyed God. And God said, the day you take it, you will die. And the consequence of that sin is that man exchanged the glory of God for the glory of creation. And he ceased to look to God as creator and began to look to creation as as an object of worship. So man was kicked out of the garden and that was God's mercy, by the way, so that man would not eat of the, of the tree of life and live forever in a state of separation with God. So that's God's mercy that he took Adam and Eve out of paradise. And he takes them out of paradise, and, but he gives them a promise. And his promise basically is that he is going to send someone to save them. God's on a mission. God's on a mission to save the lost. And so they are separated from God and their children and their children's children are all uh, 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 walking further and further away from God. It got to the point where, um, where, where there, was a, there was a flood and, 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 and again the earth was populated and just the whole world in disobedience to God. And so God, um, in, in fulfillment of his promise, chose one man named Abraham and he, and he called him out of his land and called him out of that land of, of idolatry. And that man uh, was taken to a promised land and given a promise, not only to, to have some land, but that he would be a blessing and that through him all the families of the earth would be blessed. So out of that man, God forms a nation called Israel. And out of that nation, God sends his son. And John 3.16 says that God so loved the world that he sent his son, that whoever would believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So God, ever since the beginning, has been on a mission not only to create a people for his presence or a bride for his son, which is another theme, but he's on a mission in doing that to save the lost, to reconcile the lost to himself. But because he is God and in his sovereignty, he gave earth to man and man sinned and fell away from God. God in his sovereignty had to become a man so that his plan of reconciliation to buy back what was lost could be put into effect. And that is why God himself, God the Son, became human flesh, human form, and and lived a perfect sinless life. He was not... um, he was born of a virgin, so he did not inherit uh, human sinful nature, but, but, he, but, but he was born of a, of, a, of a woman, so he had actual flesh and blood, but he didn't inherit what we have and what we battle with are those evil desires. James talks about those uh, evil desires that seduce us and want to pull us away from God. Jesus was born without that, but... In the flesh, in real human flesh like you and me, just like us, in everything except he had no evil desires, he grew up to be a man. And at age 30, he was baptized. And when he was baptized, he was filled with the Spirit of God. Isn't that amazing how God the Son was filled with God the Spirit? But it was God the Son in human flesh. And he was filled with the Spirit. And then he was taken by the Spirit to be tempted by Satan. And 
he was not, he didn't fall into temptation. He came out of the desert and uh, it says in Luke, he came out in the power of the spirit and he began to preach the, the gospel, the good news. And he, he basically uh, ministered for three years, uh, inviting all to come to him and believe in him that they might be saved. And he died on the cross and paid for my sins and for yours 2000 years ago. And he was risen from the dead, and then he raised, uh, uh, before uh, ascending to the, to the right of the Father, he told his disciples, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. But he goes to the Father, and then he pours out his spirit upon his disciples. But here's the thing. He said, um, uh, whoever comes to me, whoever believes in me and repents of their sins will be saved. So he paid for our sins on that cross, but his righteousness is not accredited to us unless a decision is made on our behalf. We don't do the saving of ourselves. God does the saving. He, he purchased our reconciliation. He purchased our redemption. He, he did everything necessary to save us, but we must make a decision to be able to receive what's, what's called imputed righteousness or accredited righteousness to us. In other words, he paid for it, but unless I believe in him, I won't get the accreditation of his righteousness into my life, even though my sins have already been paid for. So maybe you're here this morning. You've gone to church a thousand times, or maybe this is the first time. Maybe this is the second time. Maybe you're coming with, with a friend or a relative or your spouse or your parents. Maybe you know about Jesus, but you must come and believe in him so that what he paid for on the cross can be accredited to you today. The moment you believe in him, the moment you, you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, his righteousness becomes yours and you are forgiven. That's God's mission. And his mission is so important to him that he sent his own, his own son who became flesh and blood just like us to save the likes of you and me. I know this is a terrible comparison, but it's almost as if I saw a line of ants going to the street right outside the church here, and I, and I started yelling at them, hey, don't go across the street because, because cars are going to come over and kill you. And I realized I, I don't speak, I need to become an ant to show them the way, and I become an ant so that I can show them that that's not the way to go. It's kind of a dumb example, but God himself, the Son, became human flesh, what is that? That's God's love. That's God's mission. God is on a mission. Number one, he wants to reconcile you to himself. Second Corinthians 5.17 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Are you in Christ this morning? John Wesley was crossing the Atlantic and some Moravian missionaries um, asked him, are you born again? And he said, well, I, I go to church. I, 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 uh, I'm a pastor. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a seminary professor. He gave them many answers. And they said, no, 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 no. Are you born again? Uh, and he lied. He said, yes, I am. But in his room, in the ship, he realized, I'm not. And he gave his heart to Christ. He put his faith in Jesus Christ. And he was born again. And he founded the Methodist church. And it just turned this world upside down. At, in his generation, a great, great move of God, great awakening, great powerful things of God. My own grandfather grew up in church and said the sinner's prayer. I don't want to be negative, but no one gets saved saying the sinner's prayer. We may express our decision with a prayer, but that is not a magical formula for salvation. 
My grandfather said the sinner's prayer. The very next day, he was hammering. I'm not exaggerating. He hit his thumb, and he, a bad word came out, and he was, he was part of a particular church that said, if you sin, you lost your salvation. So he was like, well, I lost my salvation right there. So he went and lived for the world for many years until many years later in World War II, he was on an aircraft carrier and the Japanese were bombing his aircraft carrier and he knelt down on a part of the, on the part of the ship and said, God, if you'll save me, we should never say if, you know, if, but he did. He said, if you save me, I'll serve you the rest of my life. God saved him and he served him for the rest of his life till he was 87 years old and he passed away and he went to heaven. He had an encounter with God. But God is on a mission to reconcile you to himself. It's not saying a prayer. It's not going to church. It's not signing a decision card. It's, it's repenting of my sins and believing in him. And we will be saved. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, you can read it later, but he says, the gospel did not come to us in words only. The gospel isn't just words. What is the gospel? It's the good news of salvation. Didn't come in words only, but in power. Power to open my eyes and see that I'm a sinner. Power to open my eyes and see that Jesus paid for my sins. It comes in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance. His spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are sons of God. For the reality is there is one God and one and only one mediator between God and man. His name is Jesus Christ. There are not a thousand roads to heaven. Not every religion will take us to heaven. There is only one road, one way, one savior, one mediator, one intercessor. And his name is Jesus Christ who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. In other words, exclusively through Jesus Christ is salvation. I was in India years ago and they do not mind Worshiping Jesus right along with all their other gods. I saw in one store pictures of many different gods and Jesus, or a, a supposed image of Jesus. Jesus is not one of many paths. He is the only way. And he is the expression of God's love to the world. God's mission is to reconcile you and me to himself. So if you're here visiting, you've never surrendered your life to Christ, or you're here for the thousandth time and you've never surrendered your life to Christ, believe in Jesus today. Surrender your life to him. And if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. This happened to me when I was nine years old. I thought the end of the world was coming and I was laying in my bed in the dark one night when I was nine in April of 1985. And I was laying in my bed and all of a sudden I was so afraid and I thought, if I die right now, I'm, I'm gonna go to hell. You know what was happening? My eyes were being opened. I'd prayed the sinner's prayer thousands of times. I'd gone to church. I knew all the stories. I knew all the songs. I played under the benches of the church. But that day, my eyes were opened and I realized I was lost. Guess what I did? I said, Mom! Mom came running. And I thank God for Mom. Because when I said, Mom, if I die right now, I'm going to hell. She didn't say, Oh, son, your dad's a preacher. She didn't say that. She said, she didn't say, oh, son, you prayed the prayer. She didn't say, oh, son, you go to church. You know what she said? Son, you know what you need to do. I turned around and knelt. I said, Jesus, please forgive me of my sins. Save me, Lord. And he saved me. And he saved me. He saved me. The chief of sinners. At nine, I was a chief of sinners. You better believe it. Is there anything better than being forgiven? Nothing. Number two, second thing I want to say this morning, 
before we close. We still have a few minutes, so I'm not, we're not landing this ship yet, okay? Second thing is the Father wants to use you. The first thing is God wants to reconcile you to himself. I know I spent a little bit of time on that, but the second thing is the Father wants to use you to reconcile the world to himself. If you know Christ, if you have been forgiven and you've been saved, welcome to the greatest adventure there is on the face of this planet. You are now enlisted and enrolled in God's mission. What's God's mission? To reconcile the world to himself. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 18 said, now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus and has given us, has given us the ministry of reconciliation. So once we are a new creation, once we are forgiven, we've also with salvation been given a ministry. You can read 2 Corinthians chapter 3 through chapter 5, and in many different ways, it says that we have a, a treasure, a treasure in this earthen vessel. We've been given a ministry, we've been given a task. Along with salvation comes the invitation to be a part of the ministry of reconciliation. Well, actually, it's been given to us, but we must make a decision to respond. And it says here in verse 19, God was in Christ reconciling the world, not imputing their trespasses, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. How does this work? Why is this necessary? Did you hear about the little girl who, in the cold? I know in Wisconsin it's a beautiful state, but it gets very cold here. And uh, this little girl one night was very cold. The fire had died out, and she yells to her dad, Dad! She was also scared. I'm scared! And he, because of the cold, didn't want to tiptoe through the cold to her room. So he just yelled and said, don't be afraid. Jesus is with you. And he says, and, and the little girl said, yeah, but I, I need someone with skin on. <laughs> I'm here to tell you that God not only is on a mission to save Madison, and that's why we're here. He's also on a mission to save Morocco. He's on a mission to save Tunisia, a country of 10 million people with 400 Christians. He's on a mission to save Yemen, a country of 20 million with about 100 Christians. He's on a mission to save Turkey, a country of 80 million people with approximately 4,000 Christians, largest unreached nation on the face of this planet. He's on a mission to save your neighbor. He's on a mission to save people in Austria. Beautiful, beautiful Salzburg, Sound of Music, Austria, with less than 1% believing Christians in that country. God loves them and sent his son for them. Well, God, why don't you send your son to Austria? Listen to me. Hebrews says, Jesus Christ died once, Jesus Christ died once and for all. Jesus Christ paid the price. And although I don't quite understand why this is so, but God has decided to entrust us with his ministry of reconciliation. His mission is to save Middle East, to save North Africa, to save Europe, to save Asia, to save your neighbors. I love what Timothy Tennant, an expert in world mission says. For example, the gospel in Africa, he says, 
Missionaries did not take God to Africa. God took missionaries to Africa. You see the difference? Missions is not a church program. It's not something we do every now and then on a trip. It's part of God's heart to save and reconcile those that are distanced from him in other countries. God's mission. Can you imagine someone in Morocco growing up never hearing the gospel one time? Someone in Yemen growing up never hearing the gospel one time. Someone in Jordan, someone in Syria, someone in Turkey, never hearing the gospel one time. Can you imagine them yelling to the father, Father, I'm afraid. And God yelling at them and saying, don't be afraid. I sent my son. Yeah, but I want someone with skin on. I wonder if that's why Paul in Colossians 1.27 says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Listen, what's your neighbor's hope if he doesn't know Christ? You and I would probably say, oh, well, Jesus is his hope. No. Listen, it's Jesus in you. Because Jesus was sent by the Father. But before he returned to the Father, he said, as the Father, John 20, 21, as the Father sent me, so I send you. Go into all the world. Preach the gospel. Go and make disciples. Be filled with the Spirit, and you will be my witnesses. That's a whole other message. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead and anointed him to do the work of the Father is the same Spirit, same Holy Spirit, that will come upon us to anoint us to be a witness to our neighbors, to be a witness to people in other cities, to be a witness to the foreigners that are coming to this city and to go into all the world and preach the gospel. This local church supports the missionaries that came up front here. They have been sent out to preach the gospel because God is on a mission. It's not our mission, it's God's mission. All we're doing is joining his mission. But we must make a decision. Just like God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to pay for our sins, they're paid for. But someone cannot be saved unless they respond in faith and therefore receive his free gift of salvation. The second point is also the same. It requires a decision. The father wants to use you to reconcile the world to himself. Has God paid through his son for the sins of people in Morocco? Yes. In North Korea? Yes. In Saudi Arabia? Yes. In Austria? Yes. In France? Yes. But they will not be saved unless they hear that Jesus Christ died and rose again. And they will not hear unless someone goes. And no one will go unless someone is sent. What does it mean to be used in the Father's mission? Let me just quickly outline a couple of things it means. Number one, it means to pray. For these missionaries right here, would you be willing to make a commitment? I want to be on my Father's business. Remember when Jesus was hungry and he waited by the well and his disciples went when he came back and they came back, he was talking to someone about the kingdom of God and they said, here, here's your lunch. And he said, no, I'm not, I'm not hungry anymore. What? Did someone else bring you food? No. My food is to do the will of the Father. 
Maybe your heart is burning this morning to do the will of the Father, to be a part of his mission. And you ask, how can I be a part of the Father's mission? What does it mean to be a part of the Father's mission? Number one, pray. Pray for these missionaries. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send missionaries to other countries, to other nations. Yes, there's a need here, but there's a greater need in other countries. Let's pray for laborers. Would, would there be a person willing to commit to pray every day? The Father's mission is fulfilled upon the knees of those who pray, the hands of those who give, and the feet of those who go. What else does it mean to be a part of the Father's mission? It means also to give of our offerings, of our, of our help, our support. Would you be willing to support one of these missionaries? Listen, I'm not from this church. I love this church. I don't receive a, a dime of support from this church, so I can say this freely. Support one of these guys. Do it. I have no ulterior motive. I'm gonna go home, and I won't, I'm not, there's no reason for me to say it except that's part of the Father's mission. You can do it. You have heroes of the faith right here. Hug on them this week. Give them one of those Pentecostal $50 bill handshakes and just, ah, here you go. Go take your kids out to eat. Do something for them, but support them financially. We can say that here. Being a part of the Father's mission also means going means going to your neighbor, but it can also mean going to another country. Is there anyone here that would be willing to leave his comfort, leave his home, leave his family? Let me add to that. Is there anyone here that has grandkids, children? What if your kids came to you and said, Dad, I really feel a burden to go work in the refugee camps in Jordan. My wife's been there. In one camp alone, one camp alone of several in Jordan, over 100,000 Syrians are living in that camp. What if one of your kids comes to you and says, Dad, I want to I go live the rest of my life taking the gospel on the Father's mission to Kurdistan, to the Kurds. What would that do to you as a dad? What does it mean to be a, be a father's business? It means to pray, it means to give, but it also might mean to give one of my kids, one of my grandkids. Listen, you're a local church. Some of you teach Sunday school to kids. Do any of you work with the kids in this church? Okay. Or other ministries. Do you know that some of those little kids are going to be pastors and missionaries or businessmen or people that serve God? Do you know that you, when you walk into that class, you're on a mission. You're on the Father's mission to help train those kids for the work of the ministry. When someone walks in that door, the youth that are out there that need Jesus, but they also need a local church in which they could be trained for the work of the ministry. So, so being a part of the Father's business, the Father wants to use you, and you say, how does the Father want to use me? He wants to use you to pray. He wants to use you to give. He wants to use you to preach. He wants to use you to go. He wants to use you to, to help train some of the, the people in this, in this church. Some young men are going to walk into this church, and some young women are going to walk into this church, and they've not had a father figure in their life. This is a fatherless generation. And in this local church, they can meet some fathers and mothers that will hug on them, love on them, believe in them, and be an influence in their life so that they can walk out of these doors and take the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who've never heard. Is that worth doing? Is that worth doing? 
Who would like to be a part of that? I want to be a part of that. I want to burn with fire in my soul to be a part of that. Every time a missionary comes to our church, we always send them to the kids. Last Sunday, we had a missionary that's going to the Middle East next week who's already spent many years in the Middle East teaching Arabic to our kids in Sunday school. Why do I want that? Is it worth our effort to bring her, to support her, so that she go teaches a phrase in Arabic to our kids? Oh, you better believe it's worth it. I've had, I've had children in our church come up to me saying, I want to go to Africa. We have a 12-year-old girl in our church that wants to be a doctor in Africa. Why? Because we've exposed her to that. She's on her way to medical school someday, and she's going to go. What is the church all about? We're all about the Father's mission, and you can be a part of that. You can be a part of that. Oh, but I'm just a small part. Oh, that's okay. Because all of us can be a part. There's two things I want to say as we close in prayer and the worship team comes up. Number one, the Father wants to save you. Will you come to Jesus if you've never done that this morning? Maybe there's one person this morning that has never experienced the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. The Father came he sent his son for you. Would you be willing this morning to say, I believe in Jesus as my only savior and just give him your life and receive the gift of eternal life this very morning and walk out a free man, a free woman? Would you like that? If there's anyone here that has never experienced Christ's forgiveness, the Father's love this very morning, we're gonna pray in a few seconds, just open up your heart and give him your life and tell him you believe in him and ask him to forgive you. But if you've already been forgiven, you're already a Christian, you're already a disciple of Jesus Christ. The Father's mission is to save the lost. The second part of this message is the Father's mission is to use you to be a, a vehicle to take this message, to take this gospel to those who've never heard what can I do? I can pray, I can give, I can go, I can invest my life in other people, in the kids. I'm gonna sign up to work in Sunday school because I wanna influence those kids' lives. I can volunteer to work in youth group because I wanna influence those kids' life. I can start doing something to help influence other people so that they can go as missionaries. Or maybe, just maybe, there might be one or two in this very place that God is speaking to you and you're gonna to go to the nations. If you are willing to be a part of the Father's mission as we stand this morning, could you just raise your hands where you're at and just say, Lord, here I am. Send me, use me in any way you can to influence others. You can close your eyes if you want. You can just raise your hands if you like. But if you want to be a part of the Father's mission, his, his ministry of reconciliation has already been given to you, but you must respond. You must respond and say, Lord, here am I. Use me. Lord, here am I. Send me. Use me, Lord. Use me, Lord. Use me, Lord. In fact, you can be specific and say, Lord, 
here's my life. Here's my family. Here's my kids. Here's my hands. Here's my talent. Lord, do you want me to go to another country? If not, do you want me to help support another missionary? Lord, here's my finances. Lord, maybe there's other children or people or young people or, or older people in this church I can influence to, to, to be an impulse to them so that they can go to the nations, Lord. I want to be a part of that, God. I want to, I want to be a part of that. The Father's mission is fulfilled upon the knees of those who pray. Can anyone make a commitment this day and say, Lord, I'll pray. I'll start praying for the harvest. I'll start praying for laborers. Oh, I thank God for what God has done through this local church in the last decade, sending out missionaries to the nations. But let me tell you something, that day is not over. Let me tell you something, there is a day coming. Young man, young woman, there's a day coming in which missionaries will be sent out from this church, more missionaries into the nations. In your own words, just tell him, I want to be a part of that, God. While you're talking to him, if you've never experienced Christ's forgiveness, in your own words and with your own heart, just say, Lord, I want to know you. Save me, Jesus. Save me, Lord. I believe in you. I believe you died. I believe you rose. I believe it. I believe it. But today, I surrender to you. Worship team's going to come forward. I believe there's people available to pray. If you would like to respond and come forward and pray, the altar is open. If you would like to just worship where you're at, you can do that. We're going to close together. And then I'll turn this over to Pastor Tom.